You're listening to Lost and Sound in Berlin, a podcast exploring music and identity in Berlin, supported using public funding by the Arts Council of England. Episode 2, Question All Borders. Last week, I began the day drinking tea with Alexander Hacker, a true gentleman and a key member of Berlin's premier avant-garde group, Einstein Neubauten. Then I took a trip south of the River Spree to meet Farhad and Gabby and Dowd at Music Unite, a workshop tutoring former refugees in music production. Join me today as I continue my journey across Berlin, meeting people whose lives and loves weave in and out of the rich tapestry of music that spans across this city and across the years. It's a grey midday. I'm walking alongside a vast dip in the ground where the steel tracks of the S-Bahn look in this light like a giant prosthetic bone laid along an open leg wound. I'm somewhere between Hermannstrasse and Tempelhof, and this is the southern ankle of the city. I'm on my way to meet a collective of DJs who represent something I'm very interested in. Uh, my name is Carmel, Carmel Gustav. I'm from Estonia originally, living in Berlin right now. I'm from the No Shade Collective. My name is Sibel. I'm from Singapore and half Turkish. I'm part of the Noche crew. I'm Clarice and from Berlin. And I'm the DJ for No Shade. Can can you tell me what No Shade is? No Shade is a is a DJ collective and uh, it's essentially a a mentoring program for for female and non-binary identifying people interested in taking up DJing on a on a professional level. I'm one of the original founders, so at the moment I'm like, I'm like the mommy. <laughs> um, Is it still more difficult for women to become accepted in, in the DJ world? Uh, I think it depends on what scene people. you're in. Yeah. I mean, for the scene that we're kind of in, I feel this sort of post-club, younger, it's not really, it's almost like a privilege right now. In Berlin, I'm talking just Berlin, really because everything is very forward thinking here and it's kind of you know appreciated more or i feel it's it's easier within this scene in this city whereas for example we were going to go play in rome and there the situation is totally different there they would really need a project like that which we've been trying to do as well and we were supposed to go play but actually the club now decided oh maybe actually we don't want it so you know it's kind of like um it's a bigger issue Whereas I feel in Berlin, it's like doing quite well. What is it about being part of a female and non-binary collective that is is exciting to you over, say, being in a, in a collective where they wouldn't be focused so much around female and non-binary artists? You feel very comfortable and supported, and especially like starting out as the DJ, you know, um, just being confident to play and like being around um, other women who's also similarly like in the same situation as you it's really nice to just you just feel really um confident that's it cigarettes get lit 
and the smoke curls into the winter light above our heads. Our talk turns to what issues Carmel, Sibel and Clarice have come up against as women in the DJ world. You always have to like battle the older sound guy somewhere, you know, it's like it's good when you, but that comes with everything from every creative field that I've worked with and have to deal with like an older generation of guys for example and then it's really good I feel like a program like this for example um, teaches you a lot about the technical side of things even so you feel confident going in a situation like that and maybe they'll be cheeky well usually they will be cheeky to you or you know a bit like oh well I'm not sure if you quite know that but then if you're like if you can back it up it's um that's a good feeling do you find it more comfortable being in uh, a collective where the emphasis is on the feminine rather than having lots of guys there as well well I mean personally I don't really mind um, because I always grew up with boys men and so I mean I also have an older brother so it's always a fight (laughs) 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 kind of I, with growing older, somehow I began to notice kind of like attitudes because um, somehow you don't notice it so much because it can be like really subtle, you know, also in the way that guys, I mean, girls can do this too, but it's a lot of times that guys will be like, yo, it's my turn now, or like, mm-hmm. okay, let me DJ now, or like, don't let you play your set because they're like, I don't know, getting in your way somehow mm. and not doing, letting you do your thing, which I noticed like not only with the DJ stuff, but kind of like, you know, that you have to be there and claim your place somehow because they are used to do this all the time because being a guy is always like, yeah, ego, blah, blah. And for a woman, it's not necessarily so much. Mm. Yeah, it's somehow also like a societal thing, I think that. You know, to be a guy is always to like be strong and like go forward, be aggressive somehow. Is there a way to be um, strong without using masculine aggression? Yeah, I mean, the strongest thing is just being um, respectful to each other, I think. Do you feel that the the typical electronic vibe is kind of... uh, um, is 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 equally balanced between male and female, or do you feel no, no definitely, definitely not? not. No. <laughs> is that very male dominated? Territory? Yeah, mm. totally to say this. It's very technical. Like I have a lot of friends, a lot of friends who are boys, um, who play a lot of like house and techno and whenever they ask me like oh what kind of music do you play and I feel like I'm not really taken seriously because it's not like electronic like it's not the same as them or it's like something they're not they've never heard of Mm -hmm. and I feel like no we're just different you know it's just like more experimental and that's why we have this crew like we're all like kind of show this kind of music out I think the electronic music scene can be like kind of snobby like from my experience it's like well like a friend of mine, a female DJ, was playing this track out in Estonia. And this guy walked up to him and was like, uh, you got this track on vinyl? And she's like, no, it's just like an MP3. And she's like, you don't deserve to play this. You know, oh like stuff like, like it's very like, hmm. But this is what I don't, like this is not my vibe when yeah. I go out. I like, yeah. I think our collective is kind of more about like playing tunes that are fun, 
that are yeah like get people moving that inspire you or whatever no shade operate in a post-internet world yet within their name lies a reference that has traveled decades and an entire continent i asked carmel about what is meant by the term throwing shade well throwing shade would be like suddenly in a very subtle way letting someone know that they're not really good enough or or that they're ugly or that they're you know something negative but you wouldn't be blunt about it you would be shady about it which is a little bit side-eyed or like it comes from ballroom culture so it has to do with you know like drag queens would like read each other and then it transformed into more contemporary ballroom and it would be like turned into shade whereas I don't have to tell you that you're ugly but you kind of already know that you are by the way that I'm acting you so no shade would be like no shade. <laughs> awesome. So it's kind of like, it's a kind of play on like sort of like, I kind of got that a little bit from like Paris is Burning. Yeah, yeah um, it's totally, yeah. yeah. You can get a very good explanation about what is shade yeah. from watching that. <laughs> and then going back to also from that to, to sort of early hip hop culture, the kind of street battles mm-hmm. as well of like kind of communicating in an artful way, mm-hmm. a kind of piss takiness. Yeah, but like, that's really boyish though. That's like, everything right, okay, like yeah. b-boys, like, uh, like uh, yeah. you know, it's very like blunt and like super boyish. Whereas ballroom is very slick and very like um, articulated and classy in that way. So it's almost more me. Yeah. But it's a very big, you know, it's a big part of the scene. So whether you like it or not. So is that that's something from my point of view as as a, as a man DJ? Is that something that I can learn from No Shade as well? Is how to be. Uh, more sophisticated and less. <laughs> no, I don't think that's <laughs> You think that depends think that's where not. you're aiming to. <laughs> that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whether you want to walk a ball or not. <laughs> Meeting the members of No Shade today got me thinking about my experiences as a DJ. Now, when it comes to masculinity, I'm not exactly Mel Gibson, but it made me wonder if I've ever blocked someone's flow simply because I hadn't been aware of the female perspective at the time. Aside from what they're doing within, the collective No Shade are radiating outwards a larger awareness of the female and non-binary experience within the music world. And they're doing that with a strong sound and a strong identity. It feels to me the act of coming together to express something collectively is part of modern-day Berlin's DNA. Um, So I'm heading up north now in the city to Wedding to meet a woman who I hope is going to tell me about a little street party she set up once upon a time. The multidisciplinary artist Daniela De Picciotto arrived here from New York around 30 years ago. We sit on antique furniture in the middle of her studio, and before she tells me about this street party, which you may know as the Love Parade, I was interested to find out more about what initially drew her to Berlin. I always thought it sounded cool. <laughs> I mean, from what you know, from what you hear and what you or what you heard and what you saw in movies and stuff like that, it always had that kind of twenties thing. And um, I actually didn't really 
come here at the beginning to move here, but I came to visit a friend. And um, I've, it was uh, the year that um, Wings of Desire was released by Vimbenas, and I saw the movie. And then I think I saw the movie a week before I came to Berlin. And it was incredible because all the people in the movie basically were going in and out of the apartment where my friend was staying because she lived in a huge loft. And um, Nick Cave's keyboarder was living there and Neubauten were going in. I mean, it's like the movie was in her apartment, in that loft. And I was just dumbstruck. I just couldn't believe it. I felt like I had entered the movie, which I thought was wonderful. And um, they had a little suitcase um, closet over the bathroom where somebody had been sleeping. And he had just moved out. And so I said, can I move in? And they said, yeah. So I just moved in and I stayed. I didn't even bother to pick up anything of my stuff for about three years. Wow. But there were a lot of people that didn't like Berlin back then. I had friends that came to visit me and they're like, oh my God, because it was a very dark place. Mm. It wasn't dangerous, but I mean, it was still a kind of like, you know, post-war city in a way that it was still pretty destroyed. Mm. And um, it was very poor. Uh, that's why it was so cheap. And it had a wall around it. And you were confronted by the political situation all the time, which I actually liked. Because I had the feeling that, um, you know, in comparison to normal, where politics are all in the head and you don't really see it in, let's say, Europe, um, you actually saw it. I had it right in front of my house door because I lived right next to the wall. So every time I went out in the street, I would be confronted with the situation that there was a Cold War going on. And I liked that. I liked that awareness. But a lot of people didn't couldn't deal with it. A lot of people came and they were like, oh, "This is like such a depressing city." There's, you know, there was no luxury. There were only basic stores. Yeah. All the luxury stores that you have now are all the hipness you didn't have back then. Yeah, it was just like bread and butter. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the uh, nightlife like as well at that time? Well, I mean, Berlin was a very cold place, like Siberian weather, mm. different also from now. And clubs were kind of the living rooms. They were the living rooms of everybody. So you'd, because, you know, most people had coal ovens, which were a pain. Because, you know, if, if you've ever carried up a bag of coals to the fifth floor and tried to light a fire that's going to stay alight all night, which it doesn't, and you'll end up freezing after three hours, you know, so it's, it's a nightmare. So um, you just go to the clubs to live there. So, um, People would decorate them in a way that would be comfortable and they would exhibit their stuff and they'd play their music. So it was really, you know, as soon as it started getting cold in the evening, that's when you went out and you'd only come home when your apartment was heating up. <laughs> that's, that's such an amazing uh, excuse in a way as well, isn't it, <laughs> to have a good time? You know, it, well, it was actually real. It was, I mean, you know, of course we all wanted to have fun. But it was, for a lot of people, it was really, you know, the decision of freezing or not freezing. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about the kind of characters of that time? Well, um, I mean, <clears throat> it, was, it was such a different time in so many different ways. For instance, there, there weren't any, you know, um, like Gap, H&M, and all those stores. They weren't really in Berlin, so... Um, it was also considered very unhip to buy clothes, so everybody would make their own clothes. And it was um, considered really important to make 
very individual clothes. So everybody would like to try to look different in comparison today where most people follow a fashion trend, specifically in Berlin. In other cities it was, you know, it was more like like now. But in Berlin, um, you tried to look different and all kinds of different barriers were also tried to be broken. For instance, men tried, tried to be um, non-macho-like, so they would wear makeup and skirts and um, women would try to be especially cool. Like, it was really uncool to be catty. It was, like, considered super embarrassing to be, like, you know, um, competitive women towards women. Mm-hmm. And um, women would wear, like, heavy boots and heavy jackets and be kind of, try to ask, act masculine but in a feminine way. So it was, everything was androgynous. And the... Um, the um, transvestite scene was huge I mean there were you know uh, there was a huge scene of beautiful creatures wearing ball gowns at all times of the day and wherever you went Um, so there was I mean gender was like a very fluid thing it was very hip to be bisexual so everybody would you know want to be bisexual (laughs) (laughs) and most people were so it was I mean there was everything was like there were it's interesting that there was a wall because within this wall, all borders were trying to be broken or kind of, you know, put in question, which was fantastic. I loved it. I mean, if, in, you know, if, if there was some kind of, oh, well, that's the way you have to do it in Berlin, it would be like, no, you don't. And we're going to do the opposite. Last week, Daniela's husband, Alexander Hacker, reflected on how as a West Berliner, after the wall came down, he slowly overcame initial nerves and started exploring the East. Danielle describes to me how a previously divided city found a common language. Well, I mean, I think that um, the meeting of East and West happened um, the quickest and the most peaceful way in the clubs of Berlin Mm. because they immediately mingled. I mean, I was working in Trezor back then, and um, the bouncer was a guy from the East, Fels, and he kind of became legendary. He lived there for, uh, he lived there, he worked there for years. And, um, you know, like Paul von Duke was from the East. Mm-hmm. A lot of DJs that came from the East became successful. The Love Parade also was one of those things which kind of also um, mingled that in a way that you really had the feeling that a new era is finally appearing on the horizon of Berlin. Because, as I said, when I came to Berlin in the 80s, um, there was still a post-war atmosphere because it had frozen, of course, because of the wall situation. And so uh, at the end of the 80s, you really had the feeling, especially if you were like the new generation in your 20s, it was like, what war? I'm going to have fun. <laughs> and that's what the whole techno movement that came basically represented and which was of course perfect for the east mm-hmm. and the west because all the people that finally got out after the wall came down um, they could totally identify with the that idea of there's no heroes everybody's the same and we're all happy to be free Wicked. and was this the sort of genesis of the idea of a love parade as well Basically, I mean, it was, you know, one of the ideas was that music can transcend all walls. And um, that was the main idea, but also that um, it's important to demonstrate for something instead of against something. That was the other main idea, like not to be against things because that'll only harden the walls, but to actually try to 
support good things because that'll make new possibilities open up. That's beautiful. I mean, there was something I was reading the other day about um, Mother Teresa. It was sort of like saying that she would never would have in her lifetime never would have gone on an anti-war rally but she would have always gone on a pro-peace rally exactly do you think that that's an important differentiation in oh i think that's the most important thing at all Mm. um fighting against i mean i i believe in demonstrating you know and uh saying no to things and boycotting them um but uh i think that the most important thing is to support good causes or or good the positivity mm-hmm. to make that stronger because whatever you put your energy into is going to become stronger mm-hmm. you know it's kind of a law of things so and i think that's why the love parade became so successful too mm-hmm. because it wasn't against it was for it was for you know um sharing music and it was um for trying to achieve goals and peace in a different way doing it through doing something together and having fun and how, how did you get involved in starting it or co-starting it? Um, well, I was, um, Mutta and I, we were a couple. Mm-hmm. And um, we were both great fans of parades in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, uh, Rio de Janeiro and parades out of South America. And um, we were always doing, we were always um, organizing parties and fashion shows and stuff. Mutta had a club back then called Topino Rosenheim, where I was also working. And uh, we kind of discovered um, Acid House coming from England, mm. and both of us were just blown away because it was kind of like, um, you know, the the atmosphere of the hippie era because everybody was really friendly, but like the the hard beats of electron the first electronic music things that came up on the horizon, and it was kind of like the clash of and the the colorfulness of punk so it was kind of like Mm -hmm. this new putting together of all these different things that we knew um and thought was completely revolutionary so we went back to berlin we did all kinds of parties we started the first little house techno acid parties in his bar and um then at one point um Monta came home one night after teaching. He said, you know, I've got it. We're going to do our own parade. I was like, okay. <laughs> that sounds like a good parade, like a good idea. Mm. And he said, and Berlin's a city of demonstrations, so let's do a demonstrated parade. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And the first one was, this, like I heard it was like 150 people. Yeah, it was like tiny. That. Did it surprise you that, that sort of it became such a sort of part of the Berlin calendar and the Berlin person's spirits? Oh, Yeah. We didn't expect it to become 1.5 million. Absolutely not. We didn't even think of at the, when we organized it. We didn't even. We weren't even planning on doing it twice. Yeah. You know. But it was so much. It was so exhilarating because mm. it really. I mean, we did it on a Saturday on the Kudam because we thought, you know, that's the most untypical place to play this kind of music and do what we're doing because that was still really like the old Berlin. You know, it was it was kind of the melancholic a little bit depressed, like the Berlin housewives shopping on Saturday, doing their mm. things, and some of them were still the former Trümmerfrauen, you know. And we thought, just bring some color into that. Like, yeah. you know, black and white movie, bring some techno te- techno color in it. To it. <laughs> and, um, and it started raining, but actually walking down that street and dancing in the rain to it was so exhilarating that it was, I don't know, it just kind of was this 
epiphany or something. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people kind of laughed at us before. They said, you're crazy. You know, it's not cool. How embarrassing is that to go and dance down the street? I mean, honestly, (laughs) it was like, oh, God. Yeah. And then they all came to look at it. And you and and you could just see their jaws dropped, you know, just kind of everybody's jaws dropped. Ours did and theirs did because everybody kind of felt something happened, mm-hmm. something. It's really rare that you have a moment in your life or in history even that touches that spot in time where it's just right, you yeah. know. Yeah. Especially nowadays where everything's crossover and things merge into mm-hmm. each other. Back then it was more... It was the rock era. It was the punk era. It was that, you know, it was always that or that. And that's why you could really feel it in that moment that something completely new had suddenly happened. And we were witnessing it. So everybody kind of had like goosebumps. Wow. So we were like, we have to do it again. Yeah. Chatting with Danielle, it was like I was back there as a boy watching Wings of Desire. Little did I know at the time that the angels in the film were glancing down across a city with so much raw energy. And then how this energy would get fed into the love parade and consequently so much of what we now feel on the dance floor. That night, I find myself in Watergate, a club directly facing across the Spree River where ripples of light from taxis shimmer across the water as if they're dancing with me. All of this has grown out of this monochrome world of angels and coal heaters that Daniela de Picciotto arrived at 30 years ago, where people coming together to dance helped reunify a city. And then I think how this echoes through to no shade, where having a unified belief is helping to change values and the progressive ideals at the heart of Berlin make this possible. You've been listening to Lost and Sound in Berlin, a podcast exploring music and identity in Berlin, supported using public funding by the Arts Council of England. Music by Tom Giddens. Thanks for listening, and please do join me next time as I continue to weave my way across the musical fabric of Berlin. And, if you wish, you can leave a review of what you thought of this show on iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, you can follow on Instagram at Lost and Sound in Berlin and on Facebook at forward slash Lost and Sound in Berlin. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.